hun, it's me, Danielle. I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I'm here to talk about all the ways multi-level marketing and mental health do not mix. It is important to know that this podcast is not meant to diagnose or for treatment. This podcast is based off of personal experiences and opinions, and is meant to educate and entertain. Now sit back and start healing with me on this episode of From Huns to Humans. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of From Hunts to Humans. I am really excited. I have been talking to Eden for a while now, and my um, break schedules just kept conflicting with us recording. So I'm so excited to have you here today. Um, And I guess let's kind of start from the end. And how did you get into anti-MLM? Yeah, so basically, I... So... I grew up raised by a very controlling, uh, very abusive mom who was essentially abusive in the way that a lot of uplines and cult leaders are abusive. And also separately from that, just personally, I really enjoy commentary videos on YouTube. I love hearing people talk about things they like, things they don't like why they do and don't like them. And so the YouTube algorithm one day was like, here, you might want to watch this anti-MLM video. And I was like, what's this? And then I watched it. And I was, not only did I find the creator really funny and really entertaining, but I was also fascinated by this whole community because they had survived a lot of what I had survived in terms of like the type of abuse they had experienced. And something that I noticed within the community that was really unique was this sense of humor about it. And that's something that I use to heal in, in, in my healing journey is, you know, I, I rely on humor a lot. I use it as a tool to kind of help kind of shake things off, process things, you know, all that. And so I just got really into anti-MLM and as I got more into it, you know, I started to recognize these, these tactics even more. And like, I learned about the bike model and I was like, Oh, that makes sense. You know? So it was fascinating. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I, as a therapist, I uh, always tell my clients, I would rather them laugh than cry. Although there are going to be tough times in therapy and we have to be serious sometimes. Like I'm there for the dark humor to get through some of those other moments. And most of the time are always like, yes, thank God, (laughs) because, you know, there are so many therapists and and just people in general that will be like, why are you making a joke about this? Like, it's so dark or it's so whatever. But like, what do you want me to do? Cry in the grocery store? Like, that's not productive. That's not helpful. You're not going to help me then. (laughs) Exactly. And like, personally, in my own healing journey, I'm learning about um, the application of somatic exercises, which kind of pertain to like, utilizing sensations in the body and like connecting with the body through the healing process. And like for a lot of people, myself included, laughter is a lot more accessible than crying. I hate to cry and trust I'm working on it in therapy. I know it's perfectly fine to cry. I know that in my head, but I hate it. I hate it versus laughter. Laughter is fun. Like I love laughing. And so that's, it's a much more accessible way for me to, stay grounded and connected with my body while processing trauma versus like 
I'm going to cry while pressing. It's like, uh, you know, versus right. humor. That's comfortable. I know how to do that. That's accessible to me. Absolutely. And I think that's so important when we're processing things. And also, so you're talking about somatic stuff, which is bottom up, which I, I'm not going to get all the way into the approaches today, but like bottom up would be somatic approaches, which is versus top down, which would be like CBT, like how you think about something, blah, 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 blah. And that's so hard. That's so hard to rewire stuff from like the top down model. It, in my opinion, is really, really difficult. Um, not to say that there isn't good things about it and that people don't love it. And like, you love it. You go ahead you do your thing. I personally am a, a bottom up person but laughter I, I could say so many things about laughter like that's one of my it was one of my like special interest topics when I was in grad school I actually wrote a whole paper about laughter and therapy and all of this stuff um so I'm so glad to hear you say that um and to normalize it because I think so many people think that they are wrong for not crying about the trauma and like not not to say that maybe you sh- you never will, or maybe you need to, but like, it's okay to laugh and just yeah. move forward. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's, um, there's actually a video. Um, there's one of my favorite YouTubers, which feel free to cut this out if it, you know, oh, but, no. um, uh, her name, her name's Natalie Wynn. Her channel name is ContraPoints and she has this Every video she makes is just like incredible genius. I, I can't even handle it. But uh, one particular video is called The Darkness. And anyone out there who uses dark humor to deal with their trauma, I highly recommend watching it. Um, it's hilarious and fascinating. And so out of all the books I've read and all the videos I've watched and all of that about like humor and healing, it is the most validating content I've ever come across regarding using dark humor to deal with trauma and to process trauma and to just kind of like kind of function because a lot of us are like dealing with really 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 heavy bullshit yeah (laughs) while also functioning as a person and having to like go to work and like interact with people and function as a human being and humor is just such an incredibly valuable tool for that transition, you know, whether it's after therapy or whatever, where it's like, you know, or maybe you just like have had this like really like this sudden realization, oh my God, that's happened to me. That was fucked up. What the hell was that? And you ca- and then and then you're like, okay, I also need to go buy groceries right now. You know what I mean? And right. so to kind of help ease that transition, humor is such a helpful tool for just like managing your own like human functioning um while while dealing with the aftermath of of really heavy trauma and one of the cool things too is that like your body doesn't know the difference if you're really laughing or if you're fake laughing so if you fake laugh like if you're feeling like crap and you can get yourself to fake laugh you will eventually start real laughing Like, it feels terrible at first. Like, fake laughing sucks at first. But just about any coping skill kind of sucks at first. So I don't think it's much different than just about anything else. Um, But 
if you can get yourself there, like you can get yourself out of that like funk on some level. Some of the times, obviously not yeah. all coping skills work every single time. Disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> also Definitely. disclaimer, we're not providing therapy on the podcast just in case anyone is confused. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for me, I, I have my, like, I know what type of really silly content makes me laugh no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's like a very specific type of like animals being stupid content <laughs> that just like, like there's this one TikTok that any, anytime I need to laugh, I like, can't, I, I just watch it because it's this cat trying to jump onto a table, but instead, um, it misses and it falls <laughs> on top of a trash can. It, the trash can is one of those like swingy lids. It lands on top of the trash can <laughs> and it just like slowly falls <laughs> And then she's like trying to crawl out. And then the whole whole trash can falls over. Okay, so I'm going to need you to send me that and also the darkness video. That would be great. I will send that to you. And it's just, it's so stupid. I don't know why animals being stupid makes me laugh, but it does. Um, There's something about watching incredibly stupid content when you're like going through something really heavy you just start laughing you can't stop like it can't be too cerebral it can't be like like for me like you know because there are stand-up comedians i really love but it it can't be stand-up comedy it has to be something that's just incredibly stupid like mind-numbingly stupid yeah and silly and you just you can't help yourself but laugh at it and it just it helps you just kind of shake all that out Um, And that was actually something like when I, when I came out when I was 27, I realized that I'm a lesbian, um, which is such a mind fuck for the, for anyone who's come out, you know, whether you come out as gay, trans, you know, non-binary, whatever it is, um, you know, to come out like in your twenties, thirties, forties is such a, it's like going through puberty again. It's just so weird. Um, and when I had that realization of like, oh shit, I'm a lesbian. Now what? Um, I just watched like just some of the like stupidest comedy I'd ever seen that I don't, I think if I watched it now, it wouldn't even make me laugh. But at the time I just needed something really, really, really stupid. Um, and you know, and, and it, and it, and it helped, um, it helped immensely. And it just, it just released, that like paralyzing terror that happens at first. Like if you've been closeted for years and years and years and years, and then you finally come out, there's this paralyzing terror that kind of, there's that, there's almost like this wall of paralyzing terror that you like run headfirst into. And you're like, now what, you know? Um, And so for me, you know, just like finding like gay centric, really stupid jokes and just silly jokes and memes and all that. Um, it just helped me kind of like shake that off so that then I could like keep going and be like, all right, okay. So how do I like, how do I heal this internalized homophobia? How do I heal this internalized lesbophobia? How do I like, how do I learn how to say the word lesbian out loud? Cause I couldn't even do that at that time. Um, you know, and kind of help me move forward. Yeah. So let's kind of pivot back to like the cult of one and how like for the people that don't understand like why you're here and like how they're so similar. 
um like let's dive into that because it's so interesting how similar it really actually is and also i think that the mlm community has a really hard time accepting the cultiness sometimes like i often hear like oh you were in a real cult not like not a you know not a commercial cult not an mlm cult you know and um i think that sometimes we need to be reminded like what we went through and it's a spectrum right some people didn't really have a culty experience you know they might have like lightly experienced all this stuff but it wasn't as manipulative it wasn't as traumatizing wasn't as damaging to their lives and that's okay not everyone has to be hurt for something to be bad um but anyways circling back to i think it's so important that we talk about the similarities here because we need to see how serious this can be Um, and in some ways mlm like your individual relationships with your upline are like little cults of one Oh, absolutely. Like any cult is a cult of one when you break it all the way down to your individualized relationships. Yes, Um, absolutely. Although there are differences, right, between like a collective group and a one-on-one relationship, but there there are just parallels throughout the whole thing. So I'm really excited to hear what you noticed as similarities. Yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, abuse tactics across the board, you know, whether it's an abusive partnership, whether it's an abusive parent, whether it's an abusive upline, right? There's a lot of kind of shared abuse tactics. Um, So speaking from my personal experience, what, um, and and I go, you know, a little more into detail about, you know, experiences and everything um, and and tactics in my book that just came out, which is called Becoming Shameless. Um, and uh, it's it's available on Amazon. Um, I have the link in my Instagram bio, which is at writing.eden. But basically the similarities that I saw um, were, there was sleep deprivation. Um, there was um, this very sort of uh, us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm both in regards to, um, you know, once my parents got divorced, uh, both in regards to kind of my mom and I versus my dad, my mom and I versus the world. Um, and, you know, my mom, her entire life has uh, described herself as, you know, obsessed with truth and, you know, honest. And, you know, she, you know, she, she kind of goes to the beat of her own drum. She's very independent. She's very different. You know, she's very like hashtag, not like other girls, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it's very like, she, she's very much like, I see the truth that no one else sees, you know? Um, and, and you see that in so many, especially the more like health focused, um, and, and, and especially to the more like woo woo side of the spectrum of like health focused MLMs, you know, like the essential oils and the, all that, where it's very much like, we see what's really going on here and we have the real answers, you know, we have the real cures, you know, kind of thing. Um, and very much this sort of like weird, like paranoia and distrust of other people and very much this like weird sense of like superiority to like everyone they meet of like everyone should be coming to me to help to so that I can solve their problems because I know I know what everybody needs and I know everybody's problem and this is kind of very just like you know because I because I'm obsessed with the truth and I da 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 right 
Feels really um, like um, yeah. grandstandy, like Mel Robbins, uh, Tony Robbins. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Robbins. Absolutely. <laughs> no, uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in regards to me, again, I'm like her daughter. And so the, the difference, um, you know, with your child versus like another adult is that when you encounter another adult, you have to kind of win them over versus parents don't have to win over their, their children because a natural part of development when children are very, very young, you know, your parents are the sun and the moon, you know, the world begins and ends with them. And so for, you know, anyone who has narcissistic traits, you know, in the beginning, everything is perfect. Right. Uh, And then as the child starts to develop their brain starts to develop and they start to differentiate or they start showing indications of that, uh, you know, the, the, the culty parent is going to see that as that's not my child's. That is the influence of something bad. And so that was, you know, any, anything that differentiated me from my mom was the bad influence of my dad. Even if it was a trait that had like nothing to do with him, like if it it was just like me being myself because I am actually my own person, shocker. Um, And so I I wasn't allowed to differentiate the, the only, the only way that I was kind of allowed to like be different than my mom was if it was something that made her look good. So for example, she hates to read. I love to read. And having a child who reads at an advanced level for her age makes her look good as a parent. So my interest in books was encouraged, even though it was like different, you know, than her as a person, um, different than her interest. My interest in reading was was encouraged because it made her look good. And you see that also in these MLMs where it's like, you know, you are supposed to copy everything they do, except, you know, if you if you're able to tap into a market that they don't have access to. Oh, that's great. You should take advantage of that. Da, da, da. Because why? Because it makes them money. So of right. course, you know what I mean? Like, of course, they're going to encourage you to do that. Anything that doesn't directly benefit them is is shamed and is is like, oh, you like, why are you why are you letting why are you letting yourself be manipulated into, you know, into doing these other things into like, pursuing your own interests you know what i mean as a human being right right Um, and it was it was yeah it was the same thing yeah right and so like then another example of that too for mlm is that it's all fine and dandy for you to talk about whatever medical issue you have wrong online to get other people who are also vulnerable with that medical issue um, on your team. But the second you actually have a problem related to your medical issue, your uplines in your phone DM saying, okay, well, like you need to work your business. Like there's no excuses. Da, 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 da. You have the same 24 hours a day as Beyonce. Like, oh my God. Oh, I got the chills just saying that. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And that was, you know, like, again, anything that I said or did that made my mom look good was that was encouraged. And any way that I struggled with school, um, because I... I, I, I was homeschooled for, for most of my life. And then um, when I was 13, I started high school because the high school I went to had a 
basically allowed me to start early. Um, and I did really well in school because I loved my teachers. I loved, you know, school, going to school was easy for me because even though I, I couldn't, I didn't realize it at the time, like the, the oppressive weight of my mother's constantly changing expectations, you know, that compared to like the, like, minor expectations that my teachers had of me at school. You know what I mean? Like I was, because I was so used to this, like constantly changing, constantly confusing, just abusive, oppressive, you know, like very limited, very, very like limiting expectations because I was so used to that when all I had to do at school was just like show up and pay attention and like be nice to people and like respect my teachers. That was like, the, that was easy for me, you know? And I enjoyed learning. I enjoyed connecting with, with my teachers. I, I didn't really know how to connect with my peers, but <laughs> I really enjoyed connecting with my teachers. And, and so, you know, I, I really, um, I, I really loved school, but homework was, was a struggle for me. Um, you know, and, and that's because I, I have a lot of symptoms of uh, complex PTSD that, that, overlap with ADHD. Um, and so, you know, for, for anyone with ADHD, like, you'll know what I'm talking about in terms of just like, you know, when you're in the classroom, it's so easy to learn. And then you come home and you're struggling with the transition of coming home. Um, also emotionally, I, I was struggling because I internally, I knew I was coming back to a bad place. Like I couldn't admit it to myself, but I knew that's what was happening. So that was a struggle. Um, and also, you know, I, I just, I struggled with, I just, I had never been taught how to like manage my time because when I was very, very young, um, my parents didn't like, technically I was being homeschooled, but that just meant that my parents bought me a bunch of books and left me alone. So I had no way I like, I didn't, I hadn't learned how to like manage my time and get assignments done and like do anything. I just like read a lot. So and like watch nature documentaries. So when it was time for me to actually like start writing essays, like I had no idea how to do that. But my mom was like, well, you're so smart. You're choosing to be stupid. Why are you wasting my time? And no, so, she did not say that to you. Oh my God. That's like, that's nothing. <laughs> That's so rude. <laughs> you should read my book. Uh, it, gets, <laughs> it gets so much worse. Um, and so, so yeah, so it just, just horrible, horrible things uh, to me and, and, and giving me no tools, uh, but just, just like yelling at me and, and screaming at me and, and, you know, like, and so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was very much like this. It was just a very like, stressful it was a very stressful experience and very much very much again you, you you see a similar thing where it's like you see these uplines being like it's so simple like anyone can do it anyone can figure it out and then mm -hmm. if you have a question your upline and you answer them and that or you sorry you ask them the question you know then they're like then they get they get mad at you for asking them right and it's like well that's the, like the upline is the guide they're supposed to guide you just like a parent is supposed to you know parent you and teach you right but instead it's like you should know how to do this already like well if i knew how to do this already that i wouldn't be in school now would i right <laughs> like i wouldn't be i don't know 
13 years old. They're, most 13 year olds don't know how to write a paper. That's perfectly normal. Um, you right. Know, and so if we, we knew yeah. how to do it, we wouldn't be encouraged to go to all of the team meetings and all of the power hours and all those things but then god forbid you ask a question you're so right the parallels the parallels yeah Yeah. no it is it's 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 wild and you know and i remember like there again i I was too like scared to like speak up at the time because she was already screaming at me but like there were things that she she'd repeat herself on things that i like already understood but whatever it was i was grappling with like she wasn't explaining so it's like okay you're explaining something that i already know but then like I'm struggling on this part and you're just yelling at me for being stupid for you're yelling at me for acting. She, she would, she would, she would say that I was acting and then she would throw the R slur against me, um, which I, I don't want to say cause it's a yeah. slur, but she, she would be like, why are you acting, you know, R um, all the time. That, that was like one of the most common insults that she would throw at me like over the course of years, again, starting from when I was like around 12 to, I mean, in my twenties. Yeah. My whole life. Um, and you know, she, she'd be like, why are you choosing to be stupid? Why are you acting stupid? Why are you acting, you know, are and, and, and all that. So it's, it was very, it's like, not only it, it's like, it's like, not only she's not only like insulting me, but it's like the fact that I have questions means that I'm a bad person because I'm choosing to waste her time. I'm choosing to take advantage of her. So, you know, somehow my work is now all about her. Right. And that, that was something, you know, and another thing is later on in life, cause I, I did very well in school because um, I had a constant anxiety around failing um, because oftentimes when you're raised with a very abusive parent, you, you overcompensate. Um, because I, you know, I started to, I started to, to, to try so hard to like get enough brownie points mm-hmm. so that next time she was mad, everything would be okay. Like next time that she got mad, she would see me as like a good enough person that she wouldn't explode. Right. So I was constantly trying to be good enough, constantly trying to like rack up enough brownie points. And that obviously also led to me doing really well in school. Um, that was part of it. And also, again, I just really enjoyed school. And so as I got older, you know, I would, I would get certain, I would get like a really good grade on a paper. I'd get a really good grade in class. I would get a job. Um, I got my first job when I was like 17, you know, like I, I would kind of achieve these little, these little markers of success. Um, and every time, you know, especially as I got older and I, and I, uh, moved out uh and i and i you know i would talk with my mom on the phone she every time i achieved something positive and i would tell her about it she would say now tell me how this is because of me like she would literally she would literally say that to me i like i I would call her up and i'd be like oh like i i you know i've been trying to get this job and then i went to the interview and i did really well and then i just found out that you know i got the job and she would be like, that's so awesome. I'm so proud of you. Now tell me how I helped you get that job or tell me, tell me how this is because of me. Wow. Oh my God. Ooh. I, and that, that. I mean, that is, that is, that is, you know, a lot of uplines certainly have that energy. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that they lack the self-awareness. I don't know that they like have the lack of self-awareness required in order to say those words out loud. Right. But they certainly 
they certainly communicate that maybe not in as direct a way. Right. Absolutely. Because, oh my gosh, look at all these people on my team who are ranking up. Like, like I can coach you too. Blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah. my god! Or even, yeah, or like, look at look at everything we did. It's like, girl, you right. didn't do anything. This is this is the blood and sweat and tears of the people you took advantage of. Right when we got you the car. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So interesting. So interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's such an issue. Interesting, like, thing to kind of bring to light, too, because I hear that all of the time about parents like wanting to take credit for like the things that they their kids did. And I think that there is like a small, there's like a small part of you, like, you can be proud of your kid and be like, I originated that, that person. And like, I helped them become the cool, successful person that they are today. That's fine. But like, let your kid have some pride on their own right but i couldn't because you know my mom as horrible as she can be sometimes and and as horrible as she chooses to be on a daily basis Mm -hmm. i still believe that she's a very intelligent person because i think that it takes a high level of intelligence to do the things that she has done and still believe that she's a good person. Right. Um, I think it takes a lot of intelligence to achieve that level of mental gymnastics. And I think that she, on some level, was aware of the fact that the more confident I became, the more confident she allowed me to become, the more I was going to become my own person. And the only way that she could maintain complete control over me and my mind and my life was to undercut my confidence. Um, And so that's why there's a lot, there was so much mean girl behavior Mm -hmm. on her part. There was so much like frenemy behavior on her part, Um, backhand, backhanded compliments and things that were, you know, very much like, you know, you achieve, you like, I'm so proud of you for doing this. And, you know, and, and, and it's because of me and my influence that you did. Right. Um, if you were raised by your father, you wouldn't have achieved any of that, um, you know, and 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 other similar things, you know, you know, just even even things about my appearance, you know, very like weird, weird backhanded compliments about my appearance. We, just just any way to like any way to just like fuck with my head, you know, yeah. just just keep me keep me feeling like I don't know where the ground is. You know, any any way to keep me unstable, then if 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 the ground constantly feels unstable, I can't walk away from her. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's so interesting, like, especially after taking the break and coming back. And then, like, hearing your story and just, like, really reflecting on, like, the similarities. My brain is just like, oh, my God, it's all there. Like, you know, like, I haven't figured it out over the past two years of doing this podcast. <laughs> like, it's all yeah, there. I mean, it's all the yeah. same. Yeah. Every time I abuse hear a story, it's abuse. always so, like, yeah. mind-tingly to me. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think one of the core, I think one of the core elements of abuse is objectification. Yeah, you can't uh, you can't abuse 
an animal or a being, you know, like a like a like a, a an animal or a human being, you can't abuse a living being that you see as a living being. Like you have to objectify that being first, right? And then that allows you to 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 abuse it and take advantage of it and and you know just just use it like an object, right? Right. Um. And you know, and you see that you see that in cults, you see that in uh, bigotry, prejudice, right? Um, you know, when you have you have a group that has more power and they objectify another group, they objectify them and then they take advantage of them and they right. and they you know um, abuse them, you know. So you see that in 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 all these ways, both personal and and global and and everywhere in between, honestly. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's why it's so important to talk about these abuses, you know, whether it's an abusive relationship or, you know, uh, an abusive, um, like kind of power dynamic on a larger scale, you know, um, it's, it's so important to talk about those because anyone who has experienced abuse, whether it is prejudice or, you know, relational or, or like, you know, like whether it's sort of a one-on-one thing or, or yeah, more like global scale thing, you know, anyone who survived abuse, there's this, there's this shame that goes along with it. There's this shame that goes along with being a victim of that. And in order to tell your story, you have to like shed some of you, you have to say like, this is my story and I'm not, it's not because I did something wrong. It's because the abuser did something wrong. Right. And it's shining a light on them and what they did. Right. And, you know, and, and abusers and cults thrive in the darkness. They thrive in silence. They thrive in the darkness. That's why they're so private. They're so, you know what I mean? That's why, that's why abusers isolate their victims. That's why, that's why oppressors, you know, silence protesters, you know, that's why, that's why, you know, abusive parents, like, you know, like my mom said to me, if you tell anyone about this, they're going to take you away from me. If you tell anyone about how I, how I raise you, they're not going to understand why you need to be treated this way. Cause that was like her whole thing that I, I, again, left to my own, if I was left to my own devices, I would, I would self-destruct and I'd ruin my life. Right. And so I needed to be raised as violently as she was raising me. And if I told anyone about that, if I told a teacher or another adult, then I would be taken away from her. And then I would, and then I would self-destruct. And there's, you know, any child who hears that is going to be like, I don't, I don't want to ruin my whole life. Like I want to have a good life. And, you know, and, and so that, that isolation, that secrecy is, is that's where this abuse festers and and grows right absolutely and and that's what i said to you off the podcast too like we were talking about this and i said you know if you don't want people to say shitty things about you don't do shitty things yeah i know exactly right exactly right oh yeah i totally agree with you too especially when it comes to abuse and like i think that there's our society has cultivated so much shame around being a victim nobody wants to be a victim and like that's true nobody wants to be a victim so then when people start talking about it everyone's like oh well they just want attention Uh, and that 
that statement absolutely blows my fucking mind. Like, don't we all want attention? Right. Exactly. Isn't right. that part yeah. of having human interactions is getting right. attention from people? Like, exactly. It, it well, just, basically, uh, yeah, like to me, it's like every time that it's like one of two things happens, right? Either, again, like you say, everybody wants attention. Like that's, right. you know, everybody wants attention and also everybody wants connection as well, right? right? So if someone is telling their story and they're telling their actual story, they deserve support, right? And they, they like, it's, I don't, like, it's, it's, it's not bad to give a victim attention, attention. and support and, and yeah. right? And, and if someone- And love the, and empathy. Exactly. And the few times that, because like there are times, right, where people have whatever mental health issues that leads them to lie about stuff they've gone through and, and, and fabricate um, abuse and, and, you know, like fabricate issues. Um, again, those are very, very extreme. Right. In that case, the person also needs support. Like they need, they're dealing with some mental health stuff. They also need support. So like the whole attention thing is just gross. It's a weird, yeah, to me, it's like a sort of like weird red herring. And I think anyone who says, oh, they're just doing it for attention about anyone, I think lacks an understanding of mental health and, and like how emotions and, and, and needs and, and all those things develop in the human mind. And I think that it's even further perpetuated by some of the mental health community and like providers, because I hear providers say that all of the time. And I literally look at them and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I, I get so upset about that. Because you're absolutely right. If somebody is making up a mental health disorder, they are absolutely, they're trying to fill, like they are, they've asked for the support that they needed and they haven't gotten it with the, like maybe the main thing that's going on. So they've had to, they've felt like they were forced to escalate to another level. And it's just so unfortunate that we have such a stigma around asking for help and sharing our stories and it it's just it makes me so upset i agree i completely agree yeah so what got you to the point where you wanted to write your book um so i had just finished reading jeanette mccurdy's book i'm glad my mom died i just read that incredible book one of my favorites um and so I, i just finished reading that and then i was um i was being interviewed on this podcast about like my experience coming out later in life. Mm-hmm. And so I, and after the recording ended, the, the host and I continued talking for like I don't know, half an hour or whatever. Um, just talking about like our experience with our, cause we, we both have narciss- narcissistic mothers. So we were, we were just talking about those experiences. And so, you know, and I, and I in talking with her and, and again, reading this book, like I just started thinking about my own experiences and I was like, I have a lot of experiences. <laughs> like I have, I have a lot of stories of my own. And so I, so yeah, I, I just started writing them down and uh, it, in about a week I had 25,000 words and I was like, I think this could be a book. Uh, so, you know, I, I submitted it to a few um, publishers and, didn't, you know, no one was really interested. I got a lot of like, this is too short. Cause it was, yeah, it was about like, I think, I think at the time it was just still just 25,000 words. At some point it got to 30, but you know, uh, still 
what's typical is like 40s is usually kind of on the on the short side of of, of the that type of book. And I was like, well, I mean, I said everything I want to say, so I'm done with it. Um, and so then I, I decided to, to self-publish. And then so then, you know, with that, I found an editor. Um, I found, you know, some uh, like beta readers. And, and I just kind of found people who agreed to help me, um, you know, shape it and, and format it and, and all that. And so then, um, you know, over the next few months, there was a lot of editing, there was, you know, incorporating feedback and all that. Um, and then, yeah, this came out um, in, you know, early in February, uh, sorry, late February. Um, so, yeah. Wow. I love the cover. It's so pretty. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, um, yeah, I, I purchased the image and then I, uh, there was like an app in my phone that I just like tinkered around with um, and made the cover and yeah, just put everything together. Wow. I mean, I think that this is another little like area that we should talk about for a second because one of the things that, you know, this audience is struggling with is how do you work for yourself and how do you do things for yourself? And so like, can you give us like a little bit more of like what that's like being a self-published author and like... Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, I, my day job is I'm a personal trainer, which is very, you know, working with clients one-on-one. Um, and you know, my, my website is fangirlfit.com if anyone's interested, you know, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm a person, I, I work at gyms and I also like train like independently as well. So it's, you know, um, so I, I do like online uh, coaching. Yes, I do. I do. I do in person. I also do through Zoom. So, you know, whatever, whatever works, because I mean, I live in San Francisco and I know not everybody lives in San Francisco. So, you know, Um, so, yeah, so I I'm, you know, I I think my personality is is fairly well suited for it. Um, And in terms of, you know, in terms of writing, I just kind of you know, again, this is where like, I don't know, it's like, I don't know if I need, if I have ADHD, I know that a lot of my PTSD symptoms present as basically ADHD symptoms, you know, so I, I have the kind of personality where I, I will hyper-focus on something and I will do it. And then I've, and then I've done the thing. Um, and then I've done it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah, right. Um, you know, in terms of like, I think what made this book easy to write is there are a few things. First, every story I tell in this book, I've told to at least a few other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've told to all of my therapists, you know, because at different points I had one therapist and then, right. you know, switch over to a different one, you know. So I told all my therapists. Um, I've told, you know, the the my girlfriend at the time, you know what I mean? Like over the years, yeah, be dating someone, you know, we'll... we'll share our trauma, you know, all that stuff. Right, um, first date stuff. Tell each other. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, so I've, I've told people these stories. So when it was time to write about them, there wasn't like this, like, oh God, how do I say this? You know what I mean? Like I already kind of had a sense of like, well, this is like, this is how I describe what happened. Um, and so that was helpful. Uh, and then another thing was, you know, fiction is a lot harder to write because you have to make it up on the spot versus when you're telling the story of something that happened, like you never sit down and are like, okay, what happens next? Cause it's like, you lived it. Like, you know, what right. happens next, 
you lived it, you know? So, so yeah, so that, that definitely helped, I think with the the speed at which I was able to do everything. Um, and, and also, I mean, it was a story I wanted to tell, you know, I knew that, and I know there are a lot of people out there who are dealing with the aftermath of a really abusive parent who, you know, is, was abusive the way that my mom is and was. Um, I know there are a lot of people out there who, you know, are recovering from an abusive relationship of whatever sort, you know, maybe it was a partnership, maybe it's um, an abusive workplace, you know? Um, And I, and I write about my career journey because I know that I'm not the only one who in their late twenties was like, Oh, <laughs> that's, that's what that was. <laughs> I'm gay. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm a homo. That explains it. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah. So that like, I, I know the value of these stories because these were the stories that these are the type of stories that helped me through my journey, you know, like before I was ever, before I could ever start to kind of really properly label what, what mom was putting me through and what kind of person she really is. I found writers and artists and musicians, Yeah, uh, you know, pink for me is, is one of them, you know, who were, they created this art that told the story of the emotions I was feeling. So, you know, it's like when I was around my mom, I wasn't allowed to feel sad. I wasn't allowed to feel angry. I wasn't allowed because any sign of anger or sadness was a, you know, it it was a symptom of the, it was was a symptom of the thing that was wrong with me that my dad caused, you know what I mean? And so then, and then next thing you know, we're in a seven hour straight therapy session you know, doesn't matter if we're starting this at 8 p.m. at night, we're going to stay up all night. And, you know, I'm and 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 I'm just going to be this exhausted, just like exasperated, just hopeless, just like puddle on the floor yeah. while she just like psychoanalyzes the ever loving shit out of me, um, you know, and, and torments me, you know, and then and then it finally is over. And then I don't know when that's going to happen again. you know, but, but I, but I can't, I can't show the, the, how I feel about that because that's going to start the process all over. If I give any indication that I'm feeling sad or angry, it's going to happen sooner. So I need to survive all of that and then pretend like I am awesome and that I love being with her and I love spending time with her. And, you know, I, I, yes, of course I want to visit you for an entire month, you know, kind of thing. And I have to pretend like everything's fine. And, you know, when I could listen to Pink, her music has a lot of sadness and anger and frustration. And there's also, I think, I really believe that in every song Pink has, there's this beautiful yearning to get better. And that's how I felt. You know, I felt sad. I felt angry. I felt confused. And I just wanted more than anything to be better. I wanted more than anything to just feel better. And... So, you know, listening to Pink, I was allowed to feel those feelings and her music gave me that space to feel those feelings that mom, you know, forbid. And, you know, and, and so in these little ways, I found these stories, um, 
you know, I, I connected to these stories and these creators that told those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that all those little things were my lifeline, all these little stories, they were my lifeline. Um, and so I know the value of just telling your story right. because I, I benefited from that and it, and it saved me in, in a lot of ways, you know, and then, and then, you know, eventually I, you know, I came out, which kind of started the ball rolling and, oh, I, I think I actually need to get a therapist, you know, and then that evolved into, um, oh, this, this like very intelligent and like this very intelligent person that I really trust a lot um, is validating my feelings about my mom that like, you know, that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe she means well, but you know, she did say this thing that was really messed up. And so I'm allowed to feel angry at the fact that she said this really messed up thing to me, you know? And then, and then over time it was like, wait a minute. She said a lot of mess. She actually says more messed up things than things that aren't messed up. Like there's the ratio there is, is off. And then wait a minute, there's a pattern to these behaviors. And again, that was also like, it was, it was funnily, it, it, funnily enough, like it's when I discovered the anti-MLM community that I like really saw really blatantly that cycle of abuse and how it just perfectly, it just like synced right up to how my mom behaves. Absolutely. Where yeah. it's, you know, like you see this with the, the MLMs, right? It's like they, you get sucked in, they love bomb you. And then you, you do something they perceive as wrong. It's probably not wrong, but they perceive it as wrong. And then, you know, they, there's, they shun you and da, 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 right. They abuse you. And then at whatever point you start to pull away, love bombing again, like, Oh, I'm so sorry. That was no, this is, you know, and, and I would even say this also takes place like across the MLM industry as a whole, where it doesn't necessarily have to happen all within one MLM, but it's like, you know, someone gets, gets sucked in and then, and then, you know, love bombed, whatever, and it doesn't work. And then they get berated and they get abused for, for, you know, not making it work. And they're like, okay, this is kind of bullshit. And then they pull out. Right. And then there's another, there's like, oh, I am so sorry that you went through that. We don't do that here. No, we're (laughs) different. Right. Yeah. And then they get sucked in and it's just, I mean, rinse and repeat. Right. Right. And with my, no, no, no. So with my mom, it was that, but obviously it was all, you know, with her, right. It's like, and I, and I remember very distinctly when my therapist was teaching me, she's like, okay, what your mom said, she was, was really messed up and she should never say those things to you. Like, it doesn't matter the context. It doesn't matter what you said or what you did. She's like, you could have, like, you could have done or said something horrendous, which I hadn't, but like, she's like, you could have said or done something totally horrendous. It doesn't justify what she said. Like that doesn't, you know, and so it doesn't justify her calling you a dyke bitch when she's mad at you, you know? And so, which by the way, like, I like the word dyke. I, again, I use it like with my queer friends, like, you know what I mean? I like the word, but it, my mom was not using it in that. First of all, she's straight, so she shouldn't be using it. And also she was using it as an insult because she was mad at me and she wanted to hurt me. And she knew that I was still working through a lot of internalized lesbophobia. And she knew that that was a very efficient way to 
stab me emotionally. And so he took advantage of it because that's what abusers do. Right. They push every button they can have access to because they don't care about you because you are not a human to them. You are an object to them. And when they are mad at you, it is like you are a malfunctioning object and they need to do whatever they need to do in like in their mind, they need to do whatever they need to do to get you to function as you should again, because how could you do this to them? Right. Anyway. So when my therapist was, was teaching me this and she was like, next time your mom says that to you, like you need, cause I had, trust me, I had already tried explaining to my mom like that. It's not okay to call me slurs it please don't do that it's not okay to talk me this talk to me this way i we tried all that it didn't work so then my therapist is like okay you need to completely withdraw like when she does that you need to no more access to you you need to pull pull away immediately and so i started doing that because listen I wanted to do that anyway. I just didn't know that I was allowed to. My therapist was like, not only are you allowed to, you should. And I was like, I was, I was like simultaneously heartbroken, but also really relieved because I was heartbroken. So I was like, I can't believe my mom is this fucked up, but also really relieved because like, oh my God, finally. Right. Um, Right. I can finally do what I want to do when she treats me like this. So I started doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, And then I, I, I pulled away versus in the past, it was, oh my God, you're mad at me. Oh my God, I need to make, I need to like make things better. I need to fix things. I need to fix things. And it would pull me closer to her when she would do that. So now I started doing the opposite. And then, well, you, would you look at that? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, when I withdraw, all of a sudden she's love bombing me again. And all of a sudden, all the things she was so mad at me for 12 hours earlier, two hours earlier, three days, whatever, whatever time, whatever, however long it took for her to start feeling lonely again and wanting that connection with me again, all of a sudden she's sorry for the things she said. Huh, that's so interesting. Um, If you're really sorry, why do you keep doing it, right? Anyway, and again, also I want to distinguish, it absolutely takes time to change behaviors. So, you know what I mean? Like, but if she was actually taking those steps, you would see progress. You know, I'm not saying overnight someone can completely stop an abusive behavior that they've been doing their whole life, but you would see progress. And it wasn't progress. It was just the abuse cycle on repeat for eternity. And I would see it every time like clockwork. Like I, I would just, I would just do it just to, sometimes I would do it just to, just to see what happened. I would be like, is this, is this going to lead to this result? Yup. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I, w- I would just, I would just like, it right. was just so clear. You know what I mean? Like it was just so like, I would, I would withdraw earlier than even like, I- instead of even trying to explain or trying to, you know, reconcile or whatever, I would just immediately withdraw. And it's like, we wouldn't even have to have a discussion. All I would need to do is just withdraw my attention and then love bombing. And so I just realized like, it just doesn't like, she doesn't see me as a person. She sees me as an object, a malfunctioning one at that. And she's never going to see me the way that, and this is a realization I'd had like a little bit earlier um, that, that kind of kept coming up that she's never going to see me the way that I want her to see me, which is heart wrenching when you realize that about a parent. Um, But you know, as with all these realizations, it's simultaneously heart-wrenching and heartbreaking and freeing at the same time. Because this 
this this carrot you've been dangling at the end of the stick mm-hmm. you realize is like it doesn't like the stick is just going to keep growing you're never going to get there right mm-hmm. and i mean that applies perfectly to mls right the carrot they keep dangling on the other side the stick just keeps getting longer they're going to keep making the stick longer it doesn't right. it, it, it you're never going to reach it So this is like perfect because this is the next thing I was going to ask you about, which is what got you to finally, well, I'm assuming that you've cut the cord if you've written a book about your mom. Um, Yes, we are extremely, we are extremely low contact um, because I do have a younger sister and I, for many reasons, you know, I, I want to. I, I want to obviously stay connected with my sister. And I I know that conflict between my mom and I um, upset my sister. And so, you know, I, every day I try to strike that balance um, of, you know, being, being accessible to, to my sister while also, you know, kind of maintaining enough distance between me and my mom mm-hmm. um, so that, so that, uh, you know, she, she doesn't, she can't hurt me like she has in the past. And, you know, um, so it's, it's, it's a delicate balance, um, you know, and, and my younger sister is, is middle school age. And so, you know, there's, it's, um, that's hard. Yeah. It's, it's not really possible to have a relationship with my sister and like also be completely no contact with my mom. Like that's not really a possibility right now. So, um, but yeah, my mom knows about the book. Um, apparently she like kind of read it. Um, I, this is, we had a conversation about it recently that ended in absolute flames as per usual, um, where she, you know, my mom's communication style is like very vague, like for how much she prides herself on being like honest and like seeing the truth and truth obsessed and blah, 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 blah. Uh, she's like, she's like the most vague, frustrating person to communicate with, um, so she kind she like I don't know what I know she read I know she read some of it on Kindle Unlimited I I don't know what part she read I don't know what she didn't read um you know I at that point we were already in a fight so like I you know what I mean like I didn't I <sighs> navigating an argument with my mom is like walking on a tightrope mm-hmm. that gets thinner and thinner and thinner as you walk across it and I'm just like just let me get to the fucking other side like you know what I mean I'm just like I you know so that's you know so yeah wow yeah i mean and it's so hard to like that's so i like i just applaud you so much for being able to walk that balance and like try to keep yourself safe and also still write a book about her and come on all these podcasts and talk about it and like still maintain enough of a relationship with her that you're able to still access your sister and like hold a relationship with her like that's really 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 challenging um and it's a fine line that i know a lot of people that are in similar situations with you really struggle with yeah no it's it's not it's not easy mom mom really does make it as hard as she possibly can um and it's you know i i I, i've been able to sort of patchwork together a sort of hazmat a, a sort of emotional hazmat suit for engaging with my mom, you know, that's, but it's, it's sort of like, but if I spend enough time talking with her, like I still get a headache, you know what I mean? I don't get poisoned. Like I did, like I did before. It doesn't take over my life, 
but I still walk away with like a headache and like light nausea. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's where it's, I'm, I'm, I'm protected and I have my resources. I have my therapist. I have, um, you know, again, this last interaction that we had, which is completely out of the blue. Um, so, you know, my, uh, my mom, just like texting me out of the blue and was literally just like, why didn't you write about this? And then she reminded me of some childhood trauma. Why didn't you write about this in your book? Um, just like, thanks mom. My day was going great. Thank you for reminding me about some other childhood trauma that I went through. That was awesome. Um, so, you know, that happened, uh, while my girlfriend was here. So through, through that and the, conversation with my mom that that happened subsequently um you know my girlfriend was was also just like being an incredible support system and letting me vent and letting me like kind of process things out loud and like incorporate what was happening with how my mom with my understanding of how my mom operates you know and fitting and kind of like and being like okay this makes like this is horrible but also makes perfect sense and is perfectly consistent with everything I know about how my mom operates. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting and like, just kind of bringing it back to MLM again uh, of like, it's like when you have your friend that like you say you're out of the MLM and then they're still in and you want to like maintain that relationship with them. But you like, once you see the yuck, it's really hard to, yes. To not yes. like say anything. So it's like walking that yeah. balance of trying to maintain a relationship, but also trying to keep yourself safe and not get pulled back in to the, the charm absolutely. and the love oh, bombing. Absolutely. Right. And I see how my sister is completely brainwashed. I, sh- I see my mom putting my sister through the same shit that she put me through. And I see my sister being completely brainwashed by it and completely internalizing it. And I don't, I don't know what to do other than write my book and go on podcasts. And so like, because I don't know what the future holds and I don't know, I don't know how much control my sister is going to let my mom have over her and her life. And I don't know how long it's going to go, but if I can be very vocal and very outspoken and tell my story, then, you know, I, I really hope that my sister does read my book um, at some point. At now, obviously, she's not she's not ready to. But I hope at some point she's ready to. And I hope that it helps her. Yeah. And so, you know, and that, that's all I can do because, you know, because trying to anticipate my mom's insanity is, you know, that that almost drove me to my own insanity. You know what I mean? Like I, I can't try to anticipate what my mom is going to do. I can only just be really honest and bring all of her abuse and all of her bullshit to light and hope that some of that light kind of like makes its way to my sister and, and just hope that she I hope that she is finding her own storytellers. I hope that she is finding her own passions and her own connections. Like, I hope that she is finding her emotional support, however she needs to find it. And I, I, I hope that as she gets older and I hope that as she gets older, her need for differentiation grows just like it grew in me. And I hope that, you know, she knows that 
she knows how I feel about mom. And so I hope that I hope that her knowledge that she can turn to me can help soften the blow of realizing that your mom is a abuser who objectifies you and who will never see you as a human, much less her own child. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I hope that I can kind of be that, like that family and that support system for her as she's grappling with that. So I hope I can kind of help soften the blow of that. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, you really, you really put it all out there for her to find and hopefully, I really hope it works. I hope that, you know, in what, 10 years, you are able to make the circuit again and yep. we'll yeah, hear, so. hear an update about that when I hope so. Old enough, Cause that'd be great. Yeah. Or she'll be out here telling her own story. I know. I know. I re- I mean, I really, cause she, I mean, she's got a hell of a story. Like, yeah, she's, she's got a hell of a story. So, wow. yeah. All right. Is there anything else that you want to touch on before I ask you my final question today? No. Yeah, that's it. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for being so open and honest with us. Um, cause this is not an easy topic to talk about. And I really encourage anyone who has listened to go and read your book because first of all, that's so cool that you wrote a book. I like I'm always so impressed with people who write books about like their lives. Like that's so cool. Um, so go and find the book. I'll put it in the show notes. And um, also, if you're looking for personal training, go check that out. Um, follow Eden on all of her social media and all that good stuff. Um, but anyways, so final question, what is your anti MLM? Why? Mm, um, have a lot. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I tell my story, uh, for, for my younger self, for my sister, uh, for my, for my anger. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think especially as women and as like them presenting people, we're really, we're really discouraged from anger. We're, we're sort of taught that it's bad, that it's shameful. Um, but a lot of us have a lot of anger that's very justified um, that didn't get to express itself, didn't get to be heard. And when I get to tell my story, like that is me telling the story of everything that my anger wanted to respond to in the moment but, you know, I had to stifle it because I was living with an abuser. Um, so, you know, I, I do it. I tell my story for myself. I tell my story for my sister. And I tell my story for, for anyone who has survived an abusive dynamic who just wants to feel less alone because we all deserve to feel less alone. Um, and we all deserve to feel validated and, and connected uh, in our healing process. Yeah. That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. And I, again, just thank you. Thank you. Just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and for talking about this. Um, And for anyone that's listening, like if you are going through anything like this, like please reach out to a therapist and get some support, you know, like, and if you don't find the one that you like the first time around, it's okay to break up with them and find another one. Um, that is so, so, so important and you need to be with someone you trust because, you know, in situations like this, so much trust is lost and it's okay for you to find and be picky with who you trust with your story. So a hundred percent. I just want to throw it out there yeah. that for like my first therapist, 
I went through like, I don't know, seven or something until I found like the first therapist that I worked with. It was, it was essentially like going on a bunch of first dates, right? Yeah. It's just like with any relationship, but a bunch of first dates and you're like, no, 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 no. Yes. Okay. We're going to be together for a little while. We're going to work together for a few years. And then mm, maybe, you know, okay, maybe it's time to move on. Okay. No, 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 no. Yes. We're going to work out. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's very much like that. And so don't, you know, don't be discouraged. If you meet with a, a with a therapist counselor, or counselor and it's not a right fit, there's nothing wrong with you. You just need to keep searching. It's right. hard to find people you're compatible with. It's just hard. Right. And it, it, it's okay. Like, I'm not the right fit for every person. And like, every therapist isn't the right fit. Like, it's not that they can't help you. It's not that they're not necessarily a good therapists, although there are some not so good therapists out there. Um, but it's okay. You leaving them doesn't mean anything bad about you or about them. So it's it's okay. Just absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. And, Anyways, thank you all for listening. I'm so glad to be back. And um, again, thank you so much and have a great night, everyone. Bye.